awesome. Wonderful. We give a shout out to his name. Go ahead and have a seat if you would. I uh, really appreciate that. And I'm just thrilled to be with you today. Uh, my first week to get back to teach. And so it's fun. And I've had a lot of good preparation this week. Thanks so much. Uh, just heads up, just grab your uh, message notes if you would out of your program. You're going to need these in just a little bit. You want to take some notes today. So get this ready. And grab your Bible and turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is kind of in the middle of the Bible. In fact, if you picked up a lobby Bible, it's on page 436, and you can find that, and we're going to be there today. Uh, As you do that, I just want to take a moment, and as I get to come back today, and first of all, I just want to thank um, the awesome staff and pastors we have as a church here that uh, they allowed me to take six weeks off, you know, and so it was awesome. Uh, And you didn't miss me. You missed me, but the church didn't miss a beat at all. And so I just really appreciate all the, you know, staff that God has blessed us with and the pastors and just how awesome that they did in this season. Uh, And I've gotten to watch all the services online. And so just encourage you that anytime you miss that that's a great way to stay connected to your church. Uh, is to watch the services online. And, you know, John Jackson, he spoke, and I was like that day going, oh, I hope all the men are watching today so that they'll sign up for the men's retreat, you know, because they got to see what he's like, and it's be a great opportunity, guys, for you to go deeper in your faith and to connect with other guys. So you want to just maybe today walk out and actually sign up if you haven't yet, but I watched him. David Timms from Australia, you know, wasn't that cool to have that Aussie accent? I wish I had something like that, you know. I'm from Oklahoma, and I lost my accent on purpose, okay? Uh, <laughs> And some people get to keep theirs, and we're endeared to them uh, in that way. Uh, and then Fritz Moga, we love having Fritz speak, and you know he's always a great addition to our church when he gets to speak. Pastor John, Pastor Mark did really, really good jobs with the Psalms that they had. But I just got to let you know, I know that they were trying to raise the bar a little bit on what the, your n- normal pastors would do by singing during their messages. And so and I just tell you, you don't want me to do that, so we're not doing that, okay? Just heads up. We're not going to do any of that stuff. So I just encourage you to watch those. And I got to visit several churches while I was gone. And it's my goal that anywhere I am on a Sunday or Saturday, if there's a service, that I'm going to be in church on the weekend. And so it doesn't matter if I'm on vacation or what I'm doing. So we got to go to several churches and uh, large churches, small churches. It's just amazing to see what God's doing uh, around the country. But uh, one of the things I got excited about uh, when you go to a church is, you know, you walk in and you're a guest and, you know, I just, you know, can feel for many of the guests who are here today. Uh, and so you go in and, and uh, you know, I'm thinking of large church experience uh, that I went to in Denver. You know, you pull in the parking lot and you don't even know where to go. You get in the parking lot, the church is so big. And they have all these parking, you know, people out there smiling and waving you in. And I was thinking about our parking people and how grateful I am for those people who will stand outside in the heat and the rain and guide us in. And then you come inside and there are greeters and uh, the greeters are handing you programs and they're helping you to find which way you want to go. And they're smiling and they're just telling you they're so glad you're in church today, and I'm just thankful for the greeters that God's given us here. You go inside, and there's music, and there's lights, and some places there was, you know, video and all kinds of things, and it just made me so grateful for the people we have here who do those kinds of things, and children's ministry, and student ministry, and coffee bars, and, you know, it just made me just stop, and I just want to say thank you today for everyone who serves here to make this church possible. I just want to give you a hand. Just thank you so much. I was so grateful. Thank you. Thank you for the way that you give in that way. Uh, And so I just want to say this as we start, you know, I'm just kind of feeling this today. Today is a great day to be in church. Just a great day. I'm not sure you heard that. Okay, let's do it again. Today is a great day to be in church. And just to say, yeah, it's a great day. We're glad we're here. Today is a time to encounter God together. 
It's a time to listen to the God in heaven as he wants to deal with our hearts. And God's desire, his desire, that every one of our hearts, that we would become like him, that our hearts would be like his heart. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to focus on one thing. I'm going to guide you to this one thing, and this is it. God wants your heart to be right with him. God wants your heart to be right with him. And so today, that's where we're going. At the end of the service today, I'm going to give you a chance to you can get your heart in alignment with this. There is absolutely no reason at all that you should have to leave here today with the burden of guilt and shame from something you've done in rebellion to God. Absolutely no way. You can leave here today free And that's the goal of what we're going to do. We're going to end up with communion. We're going to celebrate what he's done. It's going to be an awesome time as we're together. So we're going to cover a topic today that I'll just be confessional. I know too much about. I know way too much about this topic. And that is how to come clean after a fall. How to come clean after I have sinned, after I have moved away from God and chose to live and rebellion to him. And so we're going to talk about that. I'm going to give you some keys that will help you. But like I said, my goal is that you leave here free from guilt and shame today. And my you know, bet is, even though I said I'm all too familiar with this, I think that that would be every one of us, right? We're all too familiar with this need to come to God because we've done something that would be against what he wants us to do, and we know it, and we have to come to him in order to get clean. Some of us, we're going to look at David today. Uh, Some of us has actually been where David was. Our sin has found us out, you know, that we've been exposed, and uh, there's nothing worse than being, having your sin exposed. And, you know, in today's world, it gets exposed everywhere. Uh, but uh, just having it exposed, because a lot of us, we do our best to keep our, you know, the things we've done hidden, right? Secret, And David's gets exposed now for everyone to read about for all history, uh, what he did. Some of us, we know what to do about the sin we have. We actually know. And so we, on a regular basis, we take the appropriate steps to be free. Others of us, we know what it takes to be free from the um, shame and guilt of something we've done wrong. And yet we still choose to hold on and hide and choose not to be free because there's something inside of us that still wants to do it again. We just want to, even though we know it and it's damaging, it damage everyone around, damaging our souls, we still, if we come to God and get clean, it means that we're saying, I'm going to move away and I'm not going to do that again. So we hold on to that. Some of us, we're in a situation right now and we know that what we're doing is not pleasing to God. And yet we're choosing right now to live in disobedience and sin, rather to live in joy and freedom. Others of you, you know someone, you have someone in your world and you know that they're ta- you know, taking steps, they're moving down the path that's going to lead to destruction in some way and they're either in the process of falling or they have fallen and God wants to use you to speak into their world to help them know that they can be free, not condemn, but to help them know they can be free in some way. So as I was preparing today and I was just reflecting on this whole idea of sin and times I've sinned, times I've fallen, times I've rebelled against God, um, I realized it's, it's really basically uh, because of choices I've made. We don't fall into sin, folks. Even though I called this after a fall, we, we make choices that move us away. And then I realized as I was thinking about this that those choices came usually because of two things. And so maybe at the top of your notes you can write these down. Is that one, I either sinned because I was running with the wrong crowd. I was running with the wrong companions. 
And so they influenced me to do something that I knew was not what God wanted me to do. So I was running with the wrong crowd or the wrong companions. Or two, I did it because I was following the wrong compass. I was following the wrong compass at that point. I know what God says, and that's my true north, that's my compass, but I had tweaked it just, and I was following a different compass. And what that did is that led me away from God's best and actually led me into sin. And so I'm like, can you relate to that? Wrong crowd, wrong companions, or wrong compass. You know, my son, as Kim says, leaving for college uh, this week, and I'm just gonna, that's gonna be my talk before we go. You know, get with the right crowd, right companions, and make sure you stay true to the right compass, and then you won't have to struggle with the same things that your old dad did uh, through his life or through other people that you know. See, our sins are mostly the result of those things. Now, before we get to Psalm 51, what I need to do is we need to understand the backstory, okay? We need to understand the story behind the music, so to speak. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the situation that led to Psalm 51. In fact, Psalm 51 actually tells us the circumstance. Not every psalm does, not, uh, but this one actually tells us the circumstance or the backstory. And I put it there in your notes. This is at the t- in my Bible. This is right before Psalm 51. It says this. For the choir director, a psalm of David, regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now, you want to write this down and maybe read this later on, but this, the account of this story is in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. So maybe you want to read that later on so you can get familiar yourself and read the story to see what it was like. But it begins with this. 2 Samuel 11 begins with these words. In the spring, when armies go to war, so the, the whole idea is this, is that, you know, that uh, this is the Bronze Age and so we didn't have, you know, modern ways of transportation. So when winter would come and everything would get, you know, cold and muddy, they had to, you know, call off war because they couldn't actually do battle against each other. But in the spring, when things changed, they could go back to war. You know, whatever it does they were trying to take, however they were trying to defend, they would just go back to war. In the springtime, that's when that happened. And so they would go to war. The king's job was to go out and lead his troops and soldiers into war. But what it says is J- David chose to stay home. So right away, we see something that David was doing. He chose to stay away from his normal obligations that I think would have actually protected him had he stayed in with the right crowd and doing the right things that he would have been able to, you know, stay away from this situation that he was in. So what happens is he's at home, he's lounging around, you know what, probably didn't have a lot to do. um, And uh, his home would sit above everybody else's because it was the palace and the, the rooftops were part of their home. And so they would go out into the rooftops and you know, various things happened on the rooftops. Well, one of the things that happened is some people would put their bathing stations up on the rooftop and they would bathe there. And so David, he had the ability to see in everybody's roof, not just the roof that we're talking about here today with Bathsheba, but everybody's roof. But he saw Bathsheba. And what we're gonna learn is, is that he then connived that he would be able to bring her to his home and have sexual relations with her. Now, I just wanna pause there for a minute because as I was reading this, story, I thought about my life, okay? And I thought about some situations I know. And I just want to say that even though the Bible doesn't say this, that as I look into this, what I can see is that David, that this wasn't, when we're reading in 2 Samuel, this wasn't the first time that David was looking at Bathsheba. He was going back again and again and again and getting his fix by looking at her and longing for her and seeing her on that rooftop. And then what he did, and this is what, this is the ugly part. And this is what we do as well, folks. The ugly part is he actually planned for a way that he could make the opportunity happen so that he could fulfill his desires with Bathsheba. He did it on purpose. 
He planned. He may have even stayed home that spring for this very reason, so that he could have, know that her husband was gone out to the war and at battle and that he could have Bathsheba. And so he brought her to his place, called her in. They, cut, they get together. They have sex. She leaves. David said, that was great. That was cool. All over. Well, what happens is, and there's a knock at his door, knock at his door. He opens the door and there's a you know, messenger there with a note, hands him the note. He opens it up and it says, I'm pregnant. Oh my word. You know, he, so now he said, what do I do? So he's in this cover-up mode and he's running from God at this point, full on, because he knows what he's done is wrong and he doesn't want to be exposed. So he says, how can I cover this up? And so I go, okay, what can I do? What can I do? I know what I'll do. I'll bring Uriah home from the front and I'll ask him to, you know, I'll, I'll say, I'm going to give you this. You've been such a good soldier that I'm going to reward you. I'm going to give you a night with your wife. And so Uriah comes in. David says, I'm going to give you a night with, with your wife. And Uriah is the, is the man of character here. He says, no, I have to be with my, I have to be like my soldiers. My soldiers aren't getting anything like this. They want to be with their families. They want to be with their wives. And so I'm not going to do it. David goes, that's what I'm going to do now. I know I'll get him drunk. I'll get him drunk and he won't know what he's doing. And then he'll get in his passion. He'll decide that he's going to fulfill his passions because he's inebriated and can't control himself. So he gets him drunk. Uriah, even in a drunken state, was able to withstand the temptation to go to his wife, even though David was holding that out as this leaf to him. And he said no. And he slept outside by the gate that night. David goes, now what am I going to do? So he's just spiraling deeper and deeper and deeper and making this worse and worse. You ever been there? Worse and worse and worse. Okay. So he's finally fighting the urge to come clean. So he says, he says, I know what I'll do. I'll just, I'll, and he's, he's gone all the way now, folks. This is his total depravity here. He writes a note. He gives it to Uriah. He says, give this to your commander. Uriah goes back to his commander. Commander reads a note and it says, put Uriah at the front of the battle and then pull back. So Uriah was killed. This is murder. Uriah was killed. And then word comes back to town that Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, has been killed. So David, the benevolent, caring, compassionate king, says, I'll take Bathsheba in. So he brings Bathsheba into his house. You see how sick he'd gotten at this point? I'll take Bathsheba in because, and everybody will look at me as being the compassionate, caring king. And so that's what happened. And then now she's in his home, and David's living under this cloud of sin. And you've got to know how miserable he is, folks, because he was the worship leader. Because now his worship has, has been uh, restrained, it's been cut off, his ability to come and have joy before God, and on and on. He's just feeling, he's just withering from the inside. If you want to know more, read Psalm 32. Psalm 32 was written to talk about what David felt during this actual season of his life. And so then... God sends a prophet. See, this is what God does because God cares too much about you to allow you to remain in sin, to allow you to remain distant from him. So God sends a prophet, Nathan. Nathan comes to David. Nathan does it with a story, comes right in, says, hey, David, you know, I, I, you know, I wish I could do a Columbo accent because I think this is a Columbo scene for those of you who know Columbo, okay? <laughs> so Nathan comes in and he says, you know, David, there's this guy and, you know, he and his family are really poor and they were able to buy a lamb and they got this lamb. They brought it into their house. Oh, David, they love this lamb. This lamb did everything with them. This lamb ate with them, ate out of their cup. This lamb slept in their home. Everywhere they went, they took this lamb. This lamb was so dear to them, David. 
And then there's this other guy, he's rich, and he has a bunch of sheep and a bunch of lambs. And what happens is he had some guests come from out of town that he wanted to impress, and so he wanted to have a banquet for them. And he's looked at his lambs and his goats, and he goes, you know what, I know where the best lamb is in town. And so he sends his servants over, and they steal the lamb from the man who had this lamb that they had raised and that they loved, and it was so endeared to them. So he steals that lamb. And David's response was, that man should die. Nathan said, you are that man. You are that man. Now, here's where we get to the point where you and I are every time we sin. Every time we sin, we hear, you have sinned, we have a, we have a choice. What are we going to do? We had a choice to sin, now we have a choice when we have sinned, and we can either run from God, and I'm going to talk about all kinds of ways that we can kind of cover it up, or we can do what David did. And I put this verse, here's what David did in 2 Samuel chapter 12. This is what David did. I get my notes here. It says, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. So David knew it right away. He knew exactly what he had done. And I can imagine, as scared as he was about the repercussions of this and the consequences of people knowing and he was going to be exposed, can you imagine the relief he felt at that moment to be able to say, I have sinned against the Lord. And I just say this, folks. David's story is our story. David's story is my story. David's story is your story. We have all sinned. We all sin on purpose. We all sin by choice. We all have areas where we're weak, and every one of us has sinned. And what happens when we sin, some of us, we come up with elaborate plans so we can sin, and then afterwards we come up with elaborate plans to cover up those sins, and we stay underneath the burden of guilt and shame when God wants to set us free, even when we've chosen to rebel against him. So, what do you do after you fall from a crash? What do you do after you fall from sin? So I want to talk about that. How do you deal with guilt? Now, I want to make one thing clear as we talk, is that when we talk about guilt here, feeling guilt, this is going to surprise some of you because we're talking about how to get rid of it, feeling guilt is a good thing. If you're not feeling guilt after you know you've done something wrong, then there is something wrong. The Bible says that we can have a seared conscience. So feeling guilt is a good thing. Being guilty is not a good thing. Because being guilty, that leads to shame and separation. And so he wants to let us know how we can be set free from the guilt that we have in life. So what do we do? Okay, here's three things uh, that we can do right from the uh, Psalm 51. First is this, I need to take responsibility. I just need to take responsibility for my actions. And I love how David starts. By the way, Psalm 51, uh, nearly as we can tell, was written like, it could have been written the next day. This is immediately after David's sin, immediately after this has happened. He goes, and now he's going to get clean. And he starts this psalm. It's called a penitential psalm or a psalm of confession. And he starts it right away by these words, have mercy on me, O God. Verse, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. So here's what we have to do every time we find ourselves in that place. When we've sinned, when we've fallen, the first thing we have to do is we have to take our focus off of us and put it onto God. Take my focus off of what I did and put my focus onto God's character. And that's what David did. So he's saying, oh, I need mercy. God, I'm just going to be real honest with you. I need your mercy. God, I'm going to remind myself right now because I am the worship leader and I know these truths. I'm going to remind myself right now that you are faithful. 
you are faithful, and I can always trust in you, that your love is faithful. And I, there's never a day when your love is not available to me. And I'm going to remind myself that you have great compassion. It's never-ending, never-ending compassion. And so you are eager to share compassion with me. And so, God, I'm going to call on that today where I am. So he says this, Have mercy on God because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. So I just want to give you an idea of how desperate David feels right now. Is that in these five verses, uh, he used three different words for sin. He's going to cover all the bases. He's going to cover it all. He says, here's what I've done, God. And our translations, they don't quite you know, flesh this out as much if you're reading it from the Hebrew. Uh, but three ideas that we have here is the first one is this, is that he says, I've been in rebellion. So I've been in rebellion. So I, rebellion means I chose to sin and I stepped away. Secondly, he's going to say, I missed the mark. And so what he's saying is when we miss the mark is that God's standard is perfection and I didn't hit it, so I've sinned. And third, he's going to say, I was, you know, really this comes down to it. He's not being a victim here. He's not blaming. He's saying, I was born this way. <laughs> he just says, I was born this way. So he gives us three ideas uh, that ends there with verse five. And he's just all encompassing to say, God, I want you to know right now I have sinned. And I'm just going to cover all the bases and you know that I have sinned. Now, I find it interesting when I read this and focused on this for this talk today, that David didn't try to excuse what he did. He didn't say, it's her fault. God, if she wasn't bathing on top of the roof, I wouldn't have this problem. What is that about? And he, said, he didn't say, it's your fault, God, for making me with these desires. He didn't say, hey, God, come on, get with the program. Everybody's doing this. I mean, come on, you know, the culture changes the Bible, so we have to go with what culture says, God. He didn't say that at all. He didn't say that. He didn't say, it was just a slip. It was a mistake. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about this? I said that we are not mistakers, we are sinners. You right? Okay. So it wasn't a mistake. He actually had to come clean and say it was a sin. He didn't try to minimize this sin the way many of us do. We try to minimize, we try to make excuses. And it just reminds me of a story I heard one time about a guy who was, he, uh, was doing his taxes. He cheated on his taxes and he paid less than he should have because he cheated on how much, you know, saying how much income he got. So he was having some nights he wasn't able to sleep. He was feeling guilty about this. So he says, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll take, you know, do something about this. So he writes a letter to the IRS. And he says, you know what? I cheated on my taxes this year. I didn't pay as much, in, I pay as, much as I needed to because I had more income than I uh, reported. So I'm going to give you this check for $150. And so he sends him a check for $150. And he, but at the bottom it said, P.S., if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> David didn't do that, right? He took full responsibility for what he had done. Uh, and he did that. He admitted his sin, that he was responsible. And you know what? That's just so refreshing. And so I just want to ask, what would it be like if you and I were that open as David was about our sin? What if it would be like if we just quit trying to play games with God? We quit trying to hide behind, you know, the facades we put up. What would it be like if we could be open with God and telling the truth? What would that look like? Well, one of my favorite movies is Liar, Liar. And in that movie, Liar, Liar, Jim Carrey is, you know, stars in that. And he plays a guy that's a pathological liar. And then for some reason, he was given this gift of telling the truth at all times. Let's watch this scene. 
You know why I pulled you over? Depends on how long you were following me. Why don't we just take it from the top? Here goes. I sped. I followed too closely. I ran a stop sign. I almost hit a Chevy. I sped some more. I failed to yield at a crosswalk. I changed lanes in the intersection. I changed lanes without signaling while running a red light and speeding. Is that all? No. I have unpaid parking tickets. <laughs> Be gentle. Now, as crazy as that is, that's exactly what David did. He came before God and he said, this is what I've done. I've sinned against you and I'm responsible. I'm the one who did it and I need to be clean. So that's the first step that we want to take. First, we acknowledge who God is, his character. And then we come before God and say, God, I'm going to take responsibility. I did this. It's my fault. And the second thing we need to do is we need to seek renewal. We need to seek renewal. Seek God's cleansing and for him to renew us. And David goes on and writes this in uh, verse 7. He says, Purif- purify me from my sins. Now, um, I wish we, I mean, this whole lesson could just be on a Hebrew lesson of the words that David chose in this. But it, the word purify there actually could mean this. And it would be difficult to translate this. Uh, this way, but it actually could mean this. Instead of purify me, he could, it could be translated this way, descend me. Descend me. Take my sin away. Take my sin away. And he says, and then I will be clean. And then he says, wash me. Now that word is not just like, you know, go outside and throw your clothes in the washing machine or rinse them in some way. You know, you're rinsing your dishes in some way. But the picture there was that something was stained and the way you get out a stain is you shout it out. But in that day, they didn't have shouts. They beat it out, okay? And so that they would pound it with rocks and the river, and they would just do that. And he said, that's what I need you to do to me, God. And then I says, I will be whiter than snow. Now, how white is snow? Well, what, snow is very, very white. And he says, now, I'm just giving you the picture, God, that I know that you can restore me, and I won't have to be in this state anymore, and I can be whiter than snow. And he says this, now, give me back my joy again. Can you imagine, like I said, that he's probably gone a year now with this cloud over him, and he's not been able to experience joy or worship in the God. And he says this, let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. And then he says, create in me a clean heart. That word create, it's the same word used in Genesis 1. When God created from nothing the beauty that we have in our world. He says, create in me. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. I don't want this dirty heart anymore. I want a new heart. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, I just want to comment on that last line because some of you got hung up right there even as I read it. Maybe you read your Bible and you got hung up there. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, here's what we understand. We understand in the New Testament that when we say yes to Jesus Christ, that what happens is at that moment, as Jesus predicted and as he promised and prophesied, at the moment we say yes to Jesus Christ, that Jesus places himself in us in the person of Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. 
we know that that can never be taken away. That Holy Spirit lives inside of us and that he will always be inside of us. And we can lessen his voice because Holy Spirit's job is to, is to help us to know God's will, to help us to reach, God, reach out to people who don't know him, to be able to have a strong voice and to empower us for life and living. And so when we have that, he's still there, but we can lessen his voice. We can sear our conscience so that we don't hear him in some way. Old Testament was different. What happened in the Old Testament, this is before Jesus Christ, is that God would come to someone and he would anoint them. And at that anointing, he would place upon them his spirit to carry out the duties that he wanted that person to carry out. That was not a permanent anointing. That anointing could be taken away. That anointing could be, could, uh, could be removed in some way. And so what David is saying is, because he knows that, he's saying, God, I cannot live without your Holy Spirit on me having this anointing, so please don't take it away. So is that clear? So that's what he's saying. So bring it over to the New Testament. Holy Spirit's there. You don't have to be afraid. God's going to take it away, okay? But in this day, in the Old Testament, they actually did. And what David is saying here, he wasn't saying, God, improve me. God, make, you know, the old me better. He was saying, God, I need a new heart because my new heart, my old heart's what got me to this place. And so God, create a new heart in me. Renew me. Renew me. So we take responsibility. We seek renewal. And then the third one is this, is that we need to be restored, we learned this from David right here. We need to be restored. Kind of a process. What this means is, is that when I come to God and I'm guilty, that I'm going to be different after he forgives me. I'm going to be different in some way after he forgives me. So my sin has created separation between me and God, and now I'm going to be different because I'm forgiven. Now this is, I think some of you today, this is where you are. I mean, I know there are people in the room who have never said yes to Jesus Christ, and you've never experienced God's forgiveness fully. And I'm going to give you a chance that if you wanted to say yes to him today, you could leave here fully clean and forgiven. But I also know that there are people here, and you've gone through already step one and step two. You've confessed your sin. You said, I'm going to take responsibility. You've asked God to renew you. And yet, you still feel that you're not usable by God you still wonder if God actually accepts you. You're hearing the voice in the back of your head, and this is the voice of the adversary, and the voice of the adversary saying, you know what, God may have forgiven you, God may have made you new, but God doesn't want to use you. Remember what you did? Remember the things that you've done? How could God ever want to use you? And we listen to those voices, and it keeps us stuck, and it keeps us from ruling what I'm going to say, the true joy of forgiveness. And that is when we become usable again and we're restored into full service. Look at what he says. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation, knowing that it comes from God, and make me willing to obey you. So that's the first thing he says. You know, I, I gotta, I, that's part of my new heart is I want to follow your compass. And he says, then, here's, here's the restoration. Then I will teach your way to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. So here's what David says. He says, God, I'm going to confess. I'm going to ask you to cleanse me. And now what happens is, is that his joy is renewed. He now has the joy as the Bible, the joy of the Lord is in him. And so he knows a joy that has been missing, probably way beyond the moment he even had his encounter with Bathsheba because of what he was doing, I think, even to prepare for that. And then what it says is David's going, and I, God, here's what I'm going to do. For the rest of my days, 
I'm going to make sure that I go out declaring to everybody else that they don't have to live underneath the burden of guilt. That's what it says there. It says, you know, it says rebels, that's sinners, that's people who aren't following God. So now what I'm going to do is I'm not going to be running around to the church telling the church that they can be forgiven. I'm going to be running around telling rebels, those who are outside of God's will at this moment, that they can be clean. So he's been restored to service. And then he says, and I will praise you. And here's the greatest restoration for David at that moment, is I will be able to sing songs of praise to you from a heart that's pure, from a heart that's true. And I will be able to lead others by my praise into your presence, by my praise. So here's the challenge for us. Forgiveness is awesome. Being clean is wonderful. Being out from under that burden of guilt is incredible. But that's not why God did it, so that we would feel awesome and incredible and those other experiences. He did it so that then there would be a moment when we would say, I'm going to go out and tell other people about this. I'm not going to keep it for myself. I know people in my world, my work, my, everywhere I go, they need to hear this good news. You know what? They don't need to hear about you know, my church necessarily. They need to hear what God can do. So I'm going to go tell that, and then I'm going to spend my days praising him for what he's done. And look how he closes this up. He writes next. He says this, The sacrifice you desire, God, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. And so that's what we're going to focus on. Here's where we're going right now. Is we're going to move into a time of communion. And so what God wants us to do, if you're having that, you know, you came here today and you've got a burden of sin under, you know, you've been coming under a cloud that you've been living under, maybe even this last week or maybe last night, you know, you did something that God would definitely say wasn't his will for you, is that you do not have to leave here today underneath that cloud, underneath that burden. You can be clean when we do what God said, when we do what David did, and as God guides. So we're going to move into this time of communion. I'm going to ask our ushers if they'd move into place. I'm going to put a verse on the screen I just want you to focus on. And what I want you to do is, um, as you have time to pray, it said in that verse that we just read that we would be repentant. Folks, God wants us to turn away from our sin. And so right now you'd want to do some business with him and say, God, I not only want forgiveness, but I want to repent and turn away because I want the joy of your salvation to be in me. So we're going to have some time, and I'm just going to encourage you, please don't talk to people around you. Um, I'm going to ask your ushers to go ahead and serve right now. And as they're serving, if you just take a piece of the bread and a cup of the juice and then hold that, we'll all have communion together. Focus on this verse. I think it'll help you. It's just calling out to God right now because I want us all to be clean. I want us all to be clean when we leave here today. When everybody's served, we'll have communion together.
Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, never accepted the gift of total forgiveness. If you want to say a prayer with me right now, I'd like to lead you in a prayer where you say yes to him. Say, Jesus, as much as I understand it, I ask you to forgive me. I just want you to know that I've sinned. I confess that. As much as I understand it, I realize I've been in rebellion to you. Cleanse me, Jesus. Renew me. Make me whole. Fill me with your spirit. Use me, Jesus. Restore me in a way that I can live for you. Full potential that you made me to have. So on the night Jesus was betrayed, he came to his disciples and he said, um, he gave them a meal and as we call it, the Lord's Supper communion. And he says that we should do this, that we would remember him and what he did for us on the cross. And so he gave them bread. This cracker represents that bread. And he says, eat this and remember my body, which has been broken for you. And really the idea was that his body would take all the punishment for our sin. It's a process, all the punishment for our sin. And so as we eat this, we thank Jesus for taking the punishment that we deserved. then he offered them juice and he said this juice represents my blood which will be shed for you and the bible teaches us that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness there is no redemption and basically he was saying this this blood seals the deal is that you can now live as a forgiven person you can live renewed you can live restored and you have my father's word on it and my blood as you drink this thank jesus Oh uh-huh. 
God, I thank you so much for that gift. And I just loved singing that at the end, that we praise you. The position that David took. I've been restored, and because I've been restored, I want everyone to know, and I praise your name, God. We praise you for what you've done. And God, I pray that you would work in each of us now, that you would help us to understand the truth of today. How not just at church, But everywhere we go, when we sin, our first response is to look to you. Then we take responsibility. Then we ask you for cleansing, for renewal. And then we believe because you are always faithful that we have been restored and that we can walk with our heads held high and tell others about the love we've experienced. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.